The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. And available Pro Power Onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In 1724, a British author by the name, or at least pseudonym, of Captain Charles Johnson wrote a general history of the robberies and murders of the most notorious pirates. The first definitive written account of the Pirates of the Caribbean. The real ones. Not Johnny Depp. Not Ian McShane. No, this is the book that introduced Blackbeard to the world and became the primary source for future biographies of the notorious 18th century sea marauder. Johnson's description of Blackbeard is epic. Captain Teach assumed the nickname of Blackbeard with a large quantity of hair, which, like a frightful meteor, covered his whole face and frightened America more than any comet that has appeared there in a long time. This beard was black, which he suffered to grow to an extravagant length. As to breadth, it came up to his eyes. He was accustomed to twist it with ribbons and small tails and turn them about his ears. In time of action, he wore a sling over his shoulders with three brace of pistols hanging in holsters like bandoliers and stuck lighted matches under his hat, which appearing on each side of his face, his eyes naturally looking fierce and wild, made him altogether such a figure that imagination cannot form an idea of a fury from hell to look more frightful. Who the fuck was this Fruit Loop? Lit matches under his hat? Ribbons in his crazy hobo hipster ZZ Top beard? Three different pistols hanging off his chest. Was this guy a real pirate? Or some dude who just took his community theater role way too seriously? Well, shiver me timbers and avasty time suckers to the dread and horror that awaits all ye who trespass on this yo ho 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 a pirate's life for me edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Ahoy, time suckers. Thanks for continuing to suck a little harder each and every week. Spreading some of that sweet, sometimes salty suck to coworkers, family, friends, enemies, traveling salesmen, Jehovah's Witnesses, ghosts, apes capable of sign language, space lizards controlling our every thought and move. 
Love all the new subscriptions, messages for show ideas sent to admin at timesuckpodcast.com. And, of course, the iTunes reviews. Sweet Jesus, you guys want to suck some L. Ron. You want to suck yourself some Hubbard so bad. The Scientology episode is dropping this Friday. That's right, bonus episode this week. Friday at noon Pacific time because you all took the iTunes reviews from 300 to 400 in lightning fashion. The Third Reich 300 bonus review episode uh, was released uh, March 10th. And now three weeks later, Scientology edition comes out March 31st. Thanks for making the, uh, the extra suck happen. And when we hit 500 episodes, we're going to explore none other for our next bonus episode than Pablo motherfucking Escobar. How about that? Huh? Hero to some, enemy to others, drug lord to all. We're going to dig into his complicated history, find out if Pablo worked for the CIA, among other interesting details of his life. Well, thanks to Sarah Lilly uh, via Time Suck email for suggesting a Time Suck on pirate strongholds like Tortuga, uh, which we'll get into today. And to Serene via the Time Suck message board for suggesting Blackbeard himself, who she called the, quote, dickhead of the sea, which made me uh, smile very much. Extra big thanks to those of you who clicked on the PayPal button on timesuckpodcast.com, donated to the show. Uh, thanks to those who clicked on the Amazon button, helped out the show while you shop for some batteries, maybe some laundry detergent, maybe some Ginsu knives, maybe some butt plugs. I don't know. Whatever you're into. That's your business. And thanks for all those orders of that classic first-generation Time Suck t-shirt made out of a 100% real baby skin. Mm-hmm. I know we sold out of some sizes, but don't worry. Uh, I'm getting more made as you listen to this episode. And those of you who encountered insane shipping rates uh, last Monday uh, <laughs> know that that problem is now fixed. Uh, thanks to those of you who brought it to my attention. Uh, there was a glitch in the store, you know, one of those little troubleshooting bugs when you first open something. And you're no longer going to be asked for, uh, you know, $25 uh, to ship a single goddamn $25 t-shirt. That's uh, it's a, little, a little steep, a little, a little rich. Uh, you may get some blood on your shirt now, though, because uh, my sweet merch man was uh, savagely beaten for this error. Uh, I'm talking like within an inch of his life beaten. Yeah, No worries. Uh, he'll ship those shirts from his intensive care uh, room, hospital, uh, hospital room, or I'll stomp his goddamn head in. And remember, uh, it says on the website that the sizes run a little bit small. So if you normally wear a large, get an extra large. Unless you like rocking that baby skin tight, so tight. Then in that case, uh, you know, you do you, mama. You, li- you live your life. And now, uh, before we set sail on today's sweet, sweet episode, let's catch up real quick on some Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your time sucker updates. All right, first update comes from several time suckers. Uh, Bryce Rich, Michael Moss, Nick Eber, Chris Glover, Christopher James, host of the Fun and Movie Nerds uh, We Trust podcast, and I'm sure some others I missed. Uh, let me know that uh, Shaq has joined the Flat Earth Revolution. That's right, Shaquille O'Neal, the MDP, most dominant player of his generation, the man who barely made half his career free throws, the man who would have never made it into the NBA at all, uh, if he was six foot six or shorter, the rapper known as Shaq Diesel, he is a flat earth believer. Uh, he's on the NBA flat earth dream team along with Kyrie Irving on his podcast, uh, seven feet and 350 pounds of dumb. Wait, that's not, that's not the right title. It's uh, the big podcast with Shaq. Uh, Shaq says, quote, it's true. The earth is flat. The earth is flat. Yes, it is. Listen, there are three ways to manipulate the mind. What you read, what you see and what you hear in school. First thing they teach us is, oh, Columbus discovered America. But when he got there, there were some fair-skinned people with long hair smoking on some peace pipes. So what does that tell you? Columbus didn't discover America. Um, Columbus uh, did not discover other European settlers, you fucking halfwit. 
Seeing people with a bit lighter shade of skin does not equate to running into the descendants of Viking colonists. What's a fucking peace pipe, by the way, have to do with anything? Uh, not sure where he got that info from. Probably read it in a text uh, sent to him from noted historian Kyrie Irving. Uh, okay, so then he goes, so listen, I drive from coast to coast, and this shit is flat to me. <laughs> I'm just saying, I drive from Florida to California all the time, and it's flat to me. I do not go up and down at a 360-degree angle and all that stuff about gravity. Have you looked outside Atlanta lately and seen all those buildings? You mean to tell me that China is under us? China is under us. It's not. The world is flat. <laughs> what the fuck? First off, you idiot. No one goes up and down at a 360-degree angle because 360 degrees isn't an angle. It's a goddamn circle. You wouldn't go up and down. you go around. Oh, my God. Kind of like how shitty half-thoughts float around your big, dumb, giant head. Shaq is worth roughly $350 million. He made almost $300 million uh, off NBA contracts alone, proving yet again that uh, rich and successful do not equate to intelligent or insightful. What the fuck? This is why we need to figure out how to curb the cost of higher education and make critical thinking classes part of every single degree's core curriculum. Of course the road is flat, you giant imbecile. It's a very big globe. The curve is undetectable over short distances. God damn it. <laughs> In the recent words of astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, the earth isn't fucking flat. I love that he said that. All right. Bunch of uh, updates on the ISIS episode. Uh, too many to get into here, but I'm just going to say that everyone, whether they agreed or not, was super cool. Uh, I learned a, a lot more about Islam from the messages I got and ISIS. Uh, and the issue of Islamic extremism is complex, you know, to say the least. Maybe ISIS is a bigger threat to the West than I realize. I've never been over there like a lot of my listeners have, many of whom were deployed. Uh, so I don't have that firsthand military perspective. And, uh, you know, on one out, uh, uh, no one outside of their actual members can actually truly understand their exact motivations and intentions. Uh, beware of puppy scams. This is another update. A time sucker named Stu wrote in and told me that he and his wife uh, got scammed by a Nigerian con artist posing as a puppy breeder. Uh, this guy Stu paid 280 bucks to have a Siberian husky shipped from Maryland, but then it didn't show up. The fake breeder then messaged to say that there was a problem with shipping, that the cargo area on the plane in Maryland was too hot in Maryland in the winter. And they needed to get an air-conditioned crate. That's going to be another 800 bucks. Stu was listening to the Nigerian email scam podcast episode as this shit was going down. Told his wife, do not send the $800. Uh, got on the phone, f- figured out how to get a hold of this dude on the phone. Tore into him, lit him up, said, uh, had a bunch of coworkers call him from about like, 10 different numbers. Or he called him from to- coworkers' phones, about 10 different numbers. And, uh, and I'm sure he's probably talking to some dude in Lagos, Nigeria. Thousands of miles from Maryland. Some fucking some asshole. Well, he didn't get his $280 back, but it saved, but he saved $800 thanks to Time Suck. So, see, t- Time Suck, man. Saving Time Suckers money. I love it. And, uh, and finally, a quick Bigfoot update. This is from Time Sucker Pat Nabel, who sent me the following information on Facebook. And I'm sharing it just, uh, just because I find it so goddamn funny and, and interesting. Uh, this is <laughs> Bigfoot, maybe he's real after all. I just, apparently, I just didn't understand him when I recorded my Sasquatch versus Loch Ness Monster episode. So, so Pat says, uh, Bigfoot. According to some quote-unquote researchers, uh, researchers, I love that Pat put researchers in quotes there, uh, is a fourth-dimensional being that can travel through space and time. According to others, Bigfoot may actually uh, be one of the protectors slash guardians of a species of aliens known as the Grey. The Grey are a species of aliens that have large black eyes and gray skin, much like the aliens depicted in modern media. And uh, others believe that Bigfoot is actually the pilot for these alien uh, ships, UFOs sent down from Earth to scout the planet. Other researchers uh, believe that Bigfoot is an engineered race of aliens sent down to Earth to scout the planet. Going with this theory, they believe that Bigfoot can travel through the fourth dimension to relay information. 
and then quotes Pats wrote, they can master interstellar space travel but have no idea how to make a fucking radio. <laughs> exactly. Uh, these quote-unquote researchers go on to say that every Bigfoot sighting correlated with UFO sightings. And then in uh, parenthetical, most of the websites I obtained my research from were no better than the websites that had the word crystal in the site name. Ha <laughs> ha! Man, it's so good. So good. Grown-ups not living in mental institutions doing research on the link between Sasquatch and extraterrestrials. Fuck, I love weirdos. How boring would the world be without them? Man, Sasquatch. He's a, he's a space ape. Well, thanks for the extra suck, time suckers. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. All right, so let's get into the million gold bullion question. Who the fuck was Blackbeard? I don't know. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's all for today. Uh, actually, no one really knows for sure who Blackbeard was. Uh, early records of his life are fuzzy at best, which I think is kind of cool. Like, it adds to the mystique of his legend, you know? He wasn't born. He just, he just walked up from the bowels of hell, fully formed. Just, ah, matey, drop your weapons. I am the dread demon pirate Blackbeard. Yeah, no goofy throwback Thursday picture of a young Blackbeard with, like, no beard. Lanky, odd, adolescent body, full of, full of, full of acne on his face, but peach fuzz where a thick black beard should be, you know, home cut mullet where a pirate's hat should rest. No, uh-uh, no childhood scrapbook to, to kind of shit on old Blackbeard's mystique. Most historians uh, believe he was born in Bristol, England in 1680. In a recent 2015 book on the pirate, Blackbeard reconsidered Miss Piracy, Thatcher's genealogy by Bayless Brooks, a uh, Carolina historian who dug into Blackbeard's family history more thoroughly than anyone else from what I can tell. Uh, Brooks seems positive that Blackbeard's real name was Edward Thatch, uh, although Captain Johnson and other historical authors ascribe his last name uh, as being Teach. Well, Thatch or Teach was most likely born in Bristol, and then his family moved to Jamaica at some point during his childhood. Spain had formally ceded Jamaica to the British in 1670 after the British took it over in 1665. Uh, remained a British colony all the way until 1962, uh, by the way. And, uh, and this thatch uh, was listed as a mariner or sailor in the Royal Navy uh, aboard the HMS Windsor in 1706. It's the first uh, actual record that uh, seems to float around of this guy. Well, a lot of guys were mariners back in 1706, uh, which was smack in the middle of the golden age of piracy, a, a historical period. Uh, of plank walking. Actually, yeah, there's not actually a lot of uh, plank walking references. I think it's a Hollywood thing. Uh, but it lasted roughly from 1650s uh, to the 1730s in and around Americas. Uh, this period of history began with the end of the European Wars of Religion in 1648. Between 1524 and 1648, a series of wars broke out uh, as Europe was being reshaped by the division of the Catholic Church, Lutheran Church, and Calvinists within the Holy Roman Empire. A series of treaties were resolved between May and October 1648 in what became known as the Peace of Westphalia. Uh, ending the Thirty Years' War in the Holy Roman Empire uh, and the Eighty Years' War between Spain and the Dutch Republic uh, and numerous other battles. 109 different delegations were represented, 109 groups of people who were like, can we please stop this shit? Can we, we are tired of killing each other. Can we, please, can we please focus on killing some Indians instead? And everyone was like, yeah, yeah no, that's good. That's good. I like that. Yeah, yeah let's, let's, go, uh, let's go get those savage heathens, take some of their shit instead. So yeah, so now Europe is done terrorizing itself on its own soil for a little while. Uh, at least in mass, and, uh, and it focuses on what it started at the end of the 15th century with Columbus's initial voyage terrorizing indigenous people it encountered abroad. And, of course, it goes back to fighting each other, but at least it's doing it in the Americas, you know, instead of, you know, within Europe for a couple minutes. And, uh, and because Europe was now focused more intently on colonization, a lot more ships were heading out to sea. Uh, ships bringing slaves from Africa to work all the new colonial plantations. 
transporting various goods to and from the Americas. In the late 17th century, the transatlantic triangular trade uh, routes were developed. And here's how that worked. Uh, Sugarcane and the products sugarcane created, such as sugar and rum, became important exports for the new Caribbean colonies. Rum in particular, the drink I think most, uh, is most associated with pirates, right? Like I don't picture Blackbeard uh, throwing back tequila shots, having a gin and tonic, maybe a vodka soda. I mean, pirates aren't knocking back margaritas. They're drinking rum, drinking rum straight from the rum bottle. And, uh, and rum became very popular, and in order to get support for the massive uh, consumer demand for it, or, or in order to support the massive consumer demand for it, along with the growing demand for sugar in general, uh, you know, we human, we love us some sugar. Those, those teeth aren't going to rot themselves out. More plantations had to be developed, and so more slaves were imported to work these plantations. This demand helped establish the transatlantic triangular trade, which saw the movement of manufactured goods such as guns, luxury goods, cloth, beer, and iron to be exported from Europe to West Africa, where they were traded with local kingdoms and tribes for slaves that would be sent to the New World. From West Africa, luxury goods such as gold, ivory, spices, and hardwoods would all be brought back to Europe. Uh, The slaves from West Africa were then brought to the Caribbean and British North America, where they were sold at various slave markets. Uh, Ships would then pick up products such as sugarcane and its products such as sugar, molasses, and rum, and head to either uh, British North America or back to Europe. If they were headed to British North America, merchants could also pick up goods such as whale oil, furs, and hides, along with natural resources such as lumber, indigo, tobacco, silk, even rice, before heading back to Europe to sell everything at a massive profit. And if you're wondering why I didn't mention cotton, uh, well, cotton really didn't get going in the American South until later in the early 1800s. Goods would also go from North uh, America to West Africa, such as rum, iron, gunpowder, cloth, and tools. So a lot of valuable shit being floated around the Atlantic uh, all of a sudden. A lot lot of boats, a lot of boats carrying a lot of goods. And so with the rise of all these valuable goods being shipped around the Atlantic, the regular trade routes being set up to get these goods to the proper ports, the rise of pirates followed. You know, just a little yo-ho-ho-ho, a pirate's life for me. Still love that Disneyland ride, by the way. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, a lot of good memories, scaring the hell out of my son, Kyler, on that one. (laughs) He'd always be like, Dad, don't don't scare me this time. I'd be like, yeah, no, sure. No, of course not. Of course not. And then as soon as we'd push off in the the dark in the little boat, (laughs) I'd just start mumbling stuff. Like, like, man, man, I can't, can't believe they captured some real pirates who snuck in here last week. And he'd be like, Dad, stop it. And I'd be like, nah, it's no, no, it's no, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. I mean, we're safe. They only, uh, they only killed a few people. I mean, he'd be like, Dad. I'd be like, no, no, dude, it's, we're fine. No, one, no one's even died in this ride since yesterday. Oh, memories. Oh, sweet memories. Okay, so the first wave of pirates uh, were the buccaneers. And buccaneers is an anglicized version of the French word uh, boucanier. And buccaneers were, as defined by Merriam-Webster, any of the freebooters preying on Spanish ships and settlements, especially in 17th century West Indies, broadly pirates. So, you know, West Indies, Caribbean. And, uh, and, and to build some context for the world of piracy in the uh, Caribbean climate, Caribbean, whatever, however you want to say it, uh, the Blackbird was born into, uh, let's set sail. Let's drop right into a, a, a cold uh, black heart of a little time suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time-suck timeline. Okay, so 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Uh, Spain had settled the large island of Hispaniola, uh, present-day home of Haiti in the Dominican Republic, 22nd largest island in the world, way back with Christopher Columbus back in 1492, and immediately fucked up life for the native Taino people who numbered somewhere between 500,000 and a million when he got there, and then by 1507, 
you know, there was, there was 14,000 left. Just 15, 15 years later, wow, uh, went from, you know, possibly a million to 14,000. That's some serious colonial genocide. Uh, enslavement, smallpox, redistribution of their natural resources to European colonial goals did not do the Taino people any favors. Well, the, uh, the Spanish settled and control uh, most of the Caribbean, um, but other European players like England and France, for example, you know, they want to make some of that sugar money too, make, make some of that, that sugar cash, make some of those syrup dollars, maybe print some of those sweet bills. Uh, they want some of that conquistador gold. Spaniards have been gathering up in Mexico and South America, you know, shipping across the sea. And, uh, and other European players, you know, they take some little colonization shots for their damn selves. Well, uh, 1625, France settlers established a colony in the nearby island of St. Kitts. Uh, they'd like Hispaniola too, but there's too many Spaniards. So, they, you know, they sail on, go a little further. Eventually, they find the, the little island that Columbus had named Tortuga because it reminded him of a turtle shell. Uh, there's only a few Spanish colonists on the island, so they, they start setting up shop. 1629, the Spaniards decide that they don't like the French hanging around on Tortuga. Speak, speaking, their, speaking their Frenchy bullshit, taking American jobs, trying to, trying to take, keep America from getting great again. Wait a minute, I'm getting confused. Uh, the Spaniards, uh, but they don't like the silly French fucks, you know, setting up sugar plantations, throwing their weight around like they own the place, and they attack the French, and they force the French colonists living there to flee into the woods and hide, creating a new breed of French hillbillies, which sounds awesome. 1630, Spanish forces fortified the island of Tortuga, but not being a large island, about, you know, 69 square miles, 69, ultimate suck number, uh, a lot of these square miles are rocky and not suitable for farming. This little rocky crag about 15 miles off the northern coast of present-day Haiti isn't a priority for the Spanish. And when they go over, you know, to, to fuck over some Indians in North American mainland, see what kind of cultural damage they can do on the Florida Peninsula, those French hillbillies uh, snuck on back down to them, our woods, man. There's, woo-woo, you know, we're going to take over to the fort, man. Go, on, go get those Spaniards. Go, go now. Go scat. Go, go get. We, we have taken back the forts. Well, the Spaniards and the French, they go back and forth for a couple years. But not all the French forces uh, fighting the Spaniards are actually French military. Basically, uh, the, the semi-stranded French colonists don't have proper support from the French government in that area. Right, so, uh, this little island with a few little French hillbillies isn't like a priority for France. They're not going to be like, hey, man, send all of our fucking ships to Tortuga. Save those, save those, uh, <laughs> those, those hillbillies, those, those Creole hillbillies. I guess it's not technically Creole, but that's what I think of in my head. And uh, so, these, so these militants, kind of on their own, they, be, they become the first true buccaneers, you know? And uh, they kind of you know, have to kind of fight the Spanish, you know, by themselves. And at first, these buccaneers, uh, you know, they're just uh, little French hill folk, kind of hiding from Spanish soldiers, you know, little guerrilla warfare, you know, fighting done on land. But uh, eventually, they get some ships, uh, some ships equipped with some guns, and then they start attacking some Spanish ships. And they start having a little bit of success, you know, which gives them even more ships. So many ships, lots of ships. And uh, now uh, some of this attacking is done on survival, but when they take the loot the ships are carrying, it's not like they're sending it back to France, who's not helping them anyway. It's not like they're aiding the monarchy. They, they just keep it. You know, and then they sell their goods to other colonists in the area. They got a little business going. So now the Spaniards, of course, see them as, as a problem, see them as criminals, obviously. Uh, but the French see them as some sort of like patriotic militia, advancing France's uh, colonial interests by frustrating Spain's colonial efforts. So, and soon, it's, it's not just the French. You know, there's British settlers uh, have now arrived on the island in small numbers. Many of them attacking the Spaniards as well. Everybody's attacking the Spaniards. Uh, soon, various mariners uh, from France, England, Denmark, and elsewhere, all seeking adventure and possible fortune, arrive on the island of Tortuga uh, to live as buccaneers. And soon, uh, not only did France and England not mind the buccaneers attacking the Spanish, uh, but then as they became more skilled in warfare and captured larger ships, various European countries uh, gave certain buccaneer uh, captains letters of marquee, 
which is a written permission uh, giving the owner governmental authority to capture or destroy property belonging to a certain group or nation. So now they're official hired guns of England, France, etc. These, these buccaneers are now privateers. Uh, privateer defined as an armed ship owned and uh, officered by private individuals holding a government commission and authorization for use in war, uh, especially in the capture of enemy merchant shipping. Right, so they're so they basically the France is like, yeah, man, uh, yeah. If it's a Spanish uh, merchant trying to make a little money, fuck, go get him. You fucking, you go get that conquistador, son of a bitch. Go fucking, you go, you go get oh, oh Johnny Sanchez, take his ship. Oh fucking Ponce Ponce de Leo, what's what's his name? You know, I don't think Ponce de Leon has shit to do with this. But 1639, uh, the French colonists of Tortuga requested the French governor of Saint Kitts, uh, Felipe de Poincy, de Poincy. What a silly little name. Uh, Mr. DePoincy, you have a you have you have a telegram, Mr. DePoincy. Uh, <laughs> they request French Governor, uh, yeah, DePoincy, to send reinforcements and, and supplies to the Tortuga Governor, Jean Levasseur. Uh, that's fucking French shit right there, man. I don't know how I can get a more French name than Jean Levasseur, and he does. And the French uh, expand existing Spanish fortifications into Fort uh, de Rocher on a rocky outcrop overlooking a natural harbor on the island. Now, being aware of the numerous earlier Spanish raids, La Vachure, an engineer by trade, he, he builds one hell of a fort. This is super awesome. He builds a pirate fort that young boys fucking dream about. Uh, God, I wish I had a fort like this. I still do. I still wish I had a fort like this. I would spend so much time in this fort if I had it. Uh, I would just hang out, you know? I would just fucking read comic books in my fucking Spanish, whatever, not even Spanish, <laughs> in my French... My French island rocky cliff fort. But check this out. It was erected on the flat top of a hill that was crowned by steep rock about 30 feet high. Lavasseur shaped terraces into the hillside that could hold hundreds of men, little fighting terraces. On top of the rock, he placed his own palace, several cannons, a storehouse for ammunition, a carved stairway, reaches halfway up the rock, and then visitors had to climb the rest of the way by a ladder which was raised or lowered from the top. How cool is that? I want a fort like that, man. I really want it. You know, I could just stay up there. I got my, I got my graphic novels. I could just have, like, my, my laptop. You know, I could just watch some Netflix. You know, I'll get some fucking Wi-Fi in there. You know, if my kids and my wife are being cool, if they're being fucking cool and they're going to want to watch the show I want to watch, I'll lower the ladder. But if they're being annoying and they want to watch some bullshit, you know, then the ladder stays up, okay? The ladder stays up, and me and my little dog Penny, we hang out, and we wait for them to decide if they're going to be cool. And me and Penny, we're going to have matching pirate hats. I'm going to have a pirate hat. Penny's going to have a little tiny matching pirate hat. Uh, maybe Penny's going to wear a little eye patch, a little puppy eye patch. I don't know. All I know is that I'm really enjoying this fantasy right now. Well, the real fort uh, was even supplied by water gushing forth from a natural spring on top of this hill. God, it's fucking great. Uh, the Vasteur had seen that. Now what I would do is now I would get a drone. I would have a little th thing of drones. that I could just go get food for my drones. I don't even have to ever leave it. I'll just, I'll just shit off the edge of the cliff. Whoever's living below can deal with that. You know what I mean? Now, Levasseur, uh, he's, he's constructed an impregnable fortress. Uh, he then cut all of his ties with France during the next decade or so, just reigns over the island like a buccaneer king. He's a pirate king. It's awesome. Uh, he takes a percentage of all the buccaneer loot brought into Tortuga, uh, masses a small fortune in stolen jewels and treasure. Oh, man. Well, having created infrastructure on the island, the land surrounding the fort became worthy plantation fields, and Levasseur also sold plantation land to entrepreneurs. Also, before cutting ties with France, you know, he wrote to France, <laughs> check this out, he offered to take their, quote, undesirable ladies if the French prison system wished to empty their dungeons of female prostitutes, thieves, and petty criminals. 
Oh, my God. You see, he had too many dudes on the island. It was getting to be too much of a sausage fest. The shit was getting reckless. You know, too much testosterone on that island. Too many fucking fights breaking out. So he's like, let's sail over some prostitutes. Let's sail over some, some disreputable women. Let's get them over to the, the pirate island. Sell these boys down a bit. Levasseur uh, hoped that the arrival of women, you know, uh, uh, would get some of the buccaneers to kind of settle down a little bit. Maybe have a more manageable life planting, you know, working those little plantation things, having starting families. A few did. Uh, most men held fast uh, to the life of stealing from the Spanish. It was way more exciting. So in, in, in a matter of a few years, the town of uh, Cayon ha- has grown up around Levasseur's rock forts. Uh, taverns and inns abound. Uh, these were wild, lawless, rough, and dirty places full of drunkenness and wickedness of the most varied forms. After a night of carousing and visiting houses of prostitution, men would lay drunk in unpaved streets. Occasionally, after drunken skirmishes, be slumped up against buildings just bleeding to death. Fights and grudges over anything were settled routinely with cross swords. You know, pistols, ambushes, knives, daggers, throat cutting, every other form of revenge. This place sounds fucking terrifying and awesome. Thanks to La Vasura, to, uh, Tortuga became like the pirating capital of the, the, the Caribbean. God, that is, uh, that's so insane to me just to picture this place, right? Just this crazy little town on this little island with this rock fortress and just brothels and bars and people just trading their stolen loot. For, for a night with a, with, a, with a lady of the night or, you know, some, some rum. Just, ah, it's insanity. Well, before long, the Spaniards, uh, they were getting tired of having their ships fucked up by Tortuga's pirates, and they feared in time the French might achieve a position strong enough to force the Spanish out of Hispaniola, uh, in much the same way that they had done on Tortuga. You know, in Hispaniola, much, much bigger island, uh, much more room for crops and goods and everything, much more important to them. And so the Spaniards at Santo Domingo sent ships with 500 men to destroy the new fort. Well, the artillery uh, stationed at the fort sank one of the ships, scattered the rest. When the Spanish troops eventually landed away from the harbor, they fell into an ambush, lost almost 200 men, fled back to their ships, and then fled back to Hispaniola. Wow. So news of this victory spreads Levasseur's reputation far and wide, and now Tortuga becomes more of a haven for anyone having trouble with the law. Like uh, the island of Tortuga became, quote, the common place of refuge for all sorts of wickedness, the seminary of pirates and thieves. Wow, man, what a crazy place. Like if I could just like uh, know that I wouldn't get hurt, I so would want to get in a time machine and just fucking pop into this little Tortuga town, right? Just for a little bit, check it out, check out the fort, and then get out of there, you know, before I get a dagger in the back. Okay, in the 1640s. Throughout the next several years of the 1640s, Tortugan pirates continued to harass the Spanish. Not only were the Tortugan buccaneers plundering vessels along the shipping lanes around Hispaniola and the surrounding area, they were also provisioning their ships for the journeys by raiding the Hispaniola farms. They're just fucking taking everything. Just doing what they want to do and sneaking on back to Tortuga. Giving a, giving a little wave of the flag to the rock fort dude. and That dude's like, yeah, you guys are thieves? And we're like, mm-hmm, yeah, we're thieves. We're like, well, get in here then. You know, if you're coming there like, hey, you guys are thieves? Like, no, we wouldn't steal anybody's stuff. Get the fuck out of here. This is Tortuga, you son of a bitch. You get on back to Hispaniola, where people respect law. 1653, uh, protected from the outside world, Levasseur was eventually killed by a couple of his own henchmen. Oh, man. Levasseur left the fort. Uh, to, that's his first mistake. And last mistake, he left his fort. Once you get a super cool rock fort, uh, the first, first rule of having a super cool rock fort is don't leave the super cool rock fort. That's the first, second, and third rules of having a super cool rock fort. Well, he did leave. He went to inspect a warehouse uh, with two of his lieutenants, and one of them was enraged by the fact that earlier Levasseur had stolen away his young mistress and, and abused her, and uh, the guy stabbed him. The guy, uh, you know, st- stabbed him with some daggers, killed him. 
Well, you know, that, that was another mistake you made. You know, if you're, if you're going to leave your rock fort, you definitely don't leave it with a fucking dude who you had just stolen his young mistress away previously and somehow abused her. I don't even want to know what that means. You know, ah, not, not smart, man. He's drunk on power. Just thought he was, a, thought he was above death. Well, new governor, uh, Chevalier de Fontenay, was sent by de Poincy. De Poincy is still around, wearing his fancy silk blouses. Uh, <laughs> he was sent from de Poincy. Uh, from St. Kitts to try and clean up Tortuga. However, uh, once he got there, he realized, no, man, it's fucking pretty cool being lawless. And so he just welcomed buccaneers, and the raids continued. Uh, Fontenay uh, was as ruthless as his predecessor, uh, but only ruled for a short time. For the Spaniards, man, the pesky Spaniards, they're not going to give up on it. Once again, they decide to head back to Tortuga, and they, and they win. Now, and now they drive the pirates out. They, they founded a new colony in 1655. And then for the next 20 or so years, Tortuga just kind of bounced back and forth between the Spanish and the French. New waves of buccaneers kind of coming and going before uh, eventually a new pirate hotspot, you know, Petit, uh, Petit Gove. Uh, Petit Gove, there we go, replaced Tortuga as the haven for pirates in the Caribbean, you know. So, you know, eventually, you know, Atlantic City gives way to fucking Vegas. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever analogy you want to use there. 1690s, by the end of the 17th century, the age of the buccaneers kind of begins to draw to a close as most European countries stop using these privateers. Uh, the Dutch made piracy illegal in 1673. The English followed suit in 1680. And then the French finally cave in and made it illegal in 1697. I love that the French waited another 17 years after the British. You know, like just, well, maybe, maybe the pirates are not so bad. Eh? Maybe the pirates are just, uh, uh, how you say, uh, misunderstood. I have no idea what accent that was. I don't know why I thought I could pull off a French accent. But now there, there was a cultural, uh, culture of piracy. And, uh, and legal or not, you know, some of these guys are not going anywhere. There's too much money to be made, you know? They, they, they established a trade for themselves. And just because the government's like, no, nah, you can't do that job anymore. They're not going to be like, Fuck, okay, that's fine. Uh-uh. You get a little taste for that pirate booty, you're not going to give it up. Just because some king 5,000 miles away says to quit it. And so the buccaneers and privateers become true pirates, doing as they wished. They expanded out from the Caribbean, uh, the 1690s, a lot of these pirates headed further east, all the way to the Indian Ocean, all the way to the Red Sea, around Middle East there, you know, around the coast of Saudi Arabia, between Saudi Arabia and Africa. Uh, plundering merchant ships belonging to the East India Trading Company, among uh, many other merchants, taking cotton, silk, indigo, dye, salt, tea, opium, ball sacks. I don't know, whatever. Whatever they felt like taking. Uh, 1713, 1714, uh, piracy begins to hit its height following the end of the Queen Anne's War, which had been fought since 1702, uh, alongside the War of Spanish Succession between the British, French, and the Spanish over essentially who got to have what in the Americas. That's what it basically boils down to. So, uh, so at the end of the war, there's these thousands of seamen from, these, you know, from all these countries, including Britain's paramilitary you know, kind of privateers, and they're all relieved of military duty. And that's, they're unemployed now. And that's not good. You know, the result is you got a large number of trained, idle sailors at a time when, uh, you know, cross-Atlantic colonial shipping trade is booming. And one of these sailors is Blackbeard. So let's bounce on out of this timeline and talk about the dickhead of the sea. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. So if you remember from earlier, uh, Mr. Edward Thatch was listed as a mariner or sailor uh, in the Royal Navy aboard the HMS Windsor in 1706. And I don't mean that as mariner or sailor like he's one of the others. It's just I'm trying to say that mariner means sailor. And I only say that because I didn't know that because I, uh, I, I don't know a lot of stuff before until I looked the stuff up, which is part of the reason I love this sh- doing this show. And then uh, by 1714, at the latest, he's no longer employed by the British. Uh, the 18th century author Charles Johnson, a guy who wrote the, you know, the first big book on pirates, claimed that uh, Teach or Thatch, you know, T, he called him Teach. 
a lot of the papers did because of some uh, uh, printing error, uh, was for some time a sailor operating from Jamaica on privateer ships during the war, and that he, quote, had often distinguished himself for his uncommon boldness and personal courage. Well, at what point uh, during the war, uh, you know, Thatch joined the fighting is, in keeping with the record of most of his life before he became a pirate, unknown. But it sounds like he was a fierce soldier. Uh, and when you hear about the end of his life, uh, this description seems very accurate. Uh, he, he definitely didn't go down without a fight. So uh, shortly after the war's end, in all likelihood, uh, Thatch moved from Jamaica to New Providence, uh, now known as the Bahamas, and found seafaring work in Nassau. Uh, a little history about Nassau. Uh, in 1695, Governor Nicholas Trott rebuilt the town of Charlestown, which had been destroyed by a Spanish attack in 1684, added a fort, and both were called Nassau. Uh, however, the new fort was heavily damaged in Spanish attack in 1700, and the colonists eventually abandoned the fort in 1703 after a French and Spanish attack. So many attacks back then. Everyone's getting attacked all the time. Due to abandonment of the fort, uh, New Providence soon became a home base for pirates. A new Tortuga, Tortuga do. Uh, by 1713, there were over 1,000 pirates in Nassau, and they outnumbered the 400 to 500 law-abiding inhabitants. In the fall of 1715, Nassau's pirate population grew from dozens to hundreds. Well, I mean, by that's not by dozens to hundreds. God dang it. Uh, sorry, right, right, the, the dates on these things bounce around so much from uh, article to article. But anyway, uh, 1713, excuse me, not 1715. Um, initially, it grew from dozens to hundreds after an early hurricane wrecked the annual Spanish treasure fleet on the nearby beaches of Florida, uh, scattering bodies and gold coins across what has since been called the Treasure Coast. At year's end, Henry Jennings, another former Jamaican privateer, arrived in Nassau with 87,000 pounds in recovered Spanish treasure. Wow, man. Bringing some money to that area. Prostitutes, smugglers, escaped slaves, adventure seekers all flow into Nassau, which expands into a city of huts and tents. Kind of an open-air Las Vegas and tropical Deadwood all rolled into one. That sounds fucking great. That's, that sounds maybe even – that sounds even better than Tortuga. Sounds like, sounds like you got a better island to be on, you know? I like, a, I like a tropical Deadwood. That sounds sweet. Again, as long as you don't get stabbed or shot. Well, after shoring up in Fort Nassau, uh, the former privateers uh, brokered a black market trading network with unscrupulous English merchants at Harbor Island and Eleuthera, uh, two Bahamian islands 50 miles uh, northeast – from this well-defended and supplied position, the pirates could spring out into the Florida Straits, a major seaway that, due to prevailing winds, most Europe-bound ships were compelled to use. So they could go there, capture some prizes, get some of that pirate booty, quickly carry them back to the safety of their base. And I should note that during the chaos of colonization, when colonists were constantly being taxed by one foreign government and attacked by others, a lot of people didn't mind the pirates. You know, they, were, they didn't see them as any, any worse or maybe sometimes even better uh, than the government they were under and definitely better than the other governments trying to attack them. Uh, a, a lot of them kind of thought of themselves as Robin Hoods of the sea. You know, quote, they vilify us, the scoundrels do, when there is only this difference, the pirate Sam Bellany once told a captive. They robbed the poor under the cover of law, and we plundered the rich under the cover of our own courage. That's some fucking pirate talk right there. These pirates in the second decade of the 18th century were a force to be reckoned with. They had ships just as well-armed as the British, uh, French and Spanish navies, and oftentimes uh, more well-trained and battle-tested men aboard these ships. Well, around 1716, uh, Thatch joins the crew of Captain Benjamin Hornigold, a renowned pirate who operated from New Providence's safe waters. See, one of those, one of those Nassau pirates. Sounds like Nassau almost. One of those Nassau pirates. Well, in 1716, Hornigold placed uh, Thatch in charge of a sloop he had taken as a prize in a previous attack. Now, a sloop is a small one-mast ship, a uh, fore-and-aft mainsail, and a jib. 
They had a crew of uh, usually no more than about 75 men, up to 14 cannons. Pirates loved them because they could outmaneuver larger ships. Uh, they probably weren't as much fun to travel on. You know, They didn't have the accommodations inside, a little crammed. Uh, cramped in there. Uh, early 1717, Horn of Golden Thatch, each captain in the sloop, uh, set out for the mainland. They captured a boat carrying 120 barrels of flour uh, out of Havana. Shortly thereafter, took 100 barrels of wine from the sloop out of Bermuda. Uh, a few days later, they stopped a vessel sailing from Madeira to Charlestown, South Carolina, took some, took some more shit. In September of 1716, Thatch and Horn of Gold encountered Steed Bonnet, a landowner and military officer from a wealthy family who had turned to piracy a, uh, earlier that year. Bonnet's crew of about 70 were reportedly dissatisfied with his command. He didn't, yeah, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a good pirate. He just sounded like a, you know, maybe like a rich dude <laughs> who uh, wanted to be a pirate, you know, kind of a, kind of a wannabe. And they, uh, so with Bonnet's permission, Thatch uh, took control of his ship, uh, the Revenge. Uh, the pirate's flotilla now consists of three ships, Thatch on Revenge, Thatch's old sloop, and Hornigold's Ranger. Uh, by October, uh, and, uh, Flotilla, by the way, just a group of, group of boats or ships. By October, uh, another vessel had been captured and added to the small fleet. The sloops Robert of Philadelphia and Good Intent of Dublin were stopped on 22nd, uh, the 22nd of October, 1717. Uh, their cargo holds were emptied. As a former British privateer, though, Hornigold would only attack his enemies, like his old enemies. He wouldn't attack uh, the Brits. But for his crew, the sight of British vessels filled with valuable cargo passing by unharmed uh, became a little too much, you know? They, did, they didn't want to go fucking half pirate. They didn't sign up to be pirates to be like part-time pirates, you know? They wanted to, fucking, they wanted to fuck everything up. That's part of the fun of being a pirate. Is, you know, every, you get to go after everybody. And at some point, toward the end of 1717, uh, Hornigold is demoted. Now, whether Thatch had any involvement in this decision is unknown, uh, but uh, Hornigold quickly retired from piracy. You know, he took a ship ranger and one of the sloops, leaving Thatch with revenge and the remaining sloop. Well, Blackbeard didn't waste time once he became captain to get busy with some serious pirating. Over the first uh, three weeks of October 1717, Thatch terrorized the approaches to the Chesapeake Bay, Philadelphia, and New York Harbor, never staying more than 48 hours in one place, captured at least 15 vessels, becoming the most feared pirate in the Americas practically overnight, traumatized captains pouring into Philadelphia and New York with tales of woe, cargoes thrown into the sea, pirates leaving vessels and their crews to run aground after hacking down their masts and cutting loose their anchors, an entire cargo of indentured servants whisked away, perhaps because they wanted to join the pirates' ranks as so many other members of captured ships did. Uh, pirates now swarm in America and increase their numbers by almost every vessel they take, Philadelphia merchant James Logan wrote to friend in London after Blackbeard's raids. If speedy care be not taken, they will become formidable, and they know our government can make no defense. And then, on the uh, November 28, 1717, the man soon to become known as Blackbeard uh, uses two ships to attack a French merchant vessel off the coast of St. Vincent. They each fired a broadside across its bulwarks, killing several of its crew, uh, forcing the captain to surrender. The ship was La Concorde, a large French guineaman carrying a cargo of slaves, and Thatch would turn it into his signature vessel. Uh, Thatch and his crew sailed up from uh, south along St. Vincent and the Grenadines to uh, Bequia, where they disembarked her crew and cargo and converted the ship for their own use. The crew of La Concorde uh, were given the smaller of, of Thatch's two sloops, and Thatch immediately renamed La Concorde the Queen Anne's Revenge. Right? Remember the Queen Anne's War? Well, now this is the Queen Anne's Revenge. It's a fucking badass title. Uh, equipped her with 40 guns and now controlled one of the most famous and feared pirate ships of all time. Uh, and for, for Thatch, uh, a.k.a. Blackbeard, it was the perfect pirate ship. Uh, quote, slavers had all the right elements. They were large, extremely fast, and could carry a lot of armament. They could easily be converted to a large, totally open, flush deck 
that could house many people and allow them to easily move around during boarding action. So that's from a, from a pirate expert named uh, Daniel. I didn't write down his last name, so whatever. Blackbeard brought his ship to a remote anchorage where his crew uh, refitted her as a pirate frigate, uh, renaming her Queen Anne's Revenge. Yep, like I said, they kept food and valuables, of course, but what uh, of her human cargo? Well, pirate vessels were among the few places in European America where slaves could free themselves. A remarkable number of pirates were of African origin, uh, according to accounts of captives and pirates brought to trial. There were more than 30 Africans in Bellamy's crew, uh, crew Sam Bellamy the pirate, and in the months after capturing the Concord, uh, witnesses report as many as 70 serving with Blackbeard. Uh, most of these black sailors on, on pirate ships were not slaves, uh, said an expert on that area. Uh, uh, we have an account of a group of rebellious slaves on one of the islands rowing offshore to join a pirate ship, and the pirates knew they could count on them to be totally committed and fight to the end because their only other option was a life of plantation slavery. Yeah, I mean, yeah, fuck, yeah. If that's your options, you fucking pirate or plantation slave, I'm going to I'm gonna go with fucking pirate. Like, I would normally be scared as shit to be a pirate, but if that's the other, only other choice, I'm like, ah, all right, give me a cutlass and throw me on the boat. Maybe. Actually, I don't know. I might just fucking work the field, honestly, because I get so sick on the water. I mean, n- not saying it would be any fun at all to be a slave because I know it would be fucking terrible, but if it was like uh, fucking being on a, a plantation... And having a, even even having a dickhead boss and being treated horribly, or always being on a boat, I I think I would actually fucking be in the field. I get so sick, so sick on a boat. I don't know what I was thinking. I could be a pirate for a second there. I've been I've been on one boat in the ocean, and uh, it was like a three hour ride, and I threw up or felt like I was going to throw up again for two and a half hours of the three hours. It's fucking terrible. Okay. But not everyone was seen as a potential recruit uh, of the 455 slaves who were still alive when Blackbeard intercepted uh, La Concorde. Uh, all but 61 uh, were given back to Captain Dossett, along with a small sloop, which he used to ferry them back to Martinique to be sold at auction. So, you know, I don't know. Shouldn't, shouldn't make uh, pirates sound too idealistic. Um, so around this time, the moniker of Blackbeard is born. When another uh, captain he had captured described him as, quote, a tall spare man with a very black beard, which he wore very long. Uh, the legend, yeah, that's how the legend of Blackbeard got started. And Blackbeard understood the power of appearance in creating his fearsome legend. He understood it helped strike fear into the hearts of his enemies. He was tall with broad shoulders. He wore knee-length boots, dark clothing, a uh, big wide hat, sometimes a long coat of brightly color, uh, colored silk or velvet. may not have had an eye patch or a wooden leg or a parrot, but he did have all those pistols hanging off his chest. He carried a bunch of knives openly, uh, had his cutlass, you know, which is a short curved sword favored by pirates. He was a fucking scary-looking son of a bitch. You know, which I can imagine you, you, you have to be to command a fleet of pirates. You know, he had that big beard with all the ribbons in it. And he had, when he went into battle, he had lit fuses hanging off his fucking hat to make him look like he came out of hell. But I mean, I, but I get it though, you know, you don't, you, you don't gain respect of other pirates if you're like, hey guys, do you guys want to go some, do some pirating today? Oh my goodness, it would be so much fun to do some pirating, right? Hey guys, let's get some snacks and some juice and fuel up for our adventures. And then let's go see what fun we can have today with, with our pirating trips. No, no one's going to follow that guy anywhere. You gotta be scary. You gotta intimidate other intimidating pirates into following your scary ass out on the high seas. You know, the guy, the guy who's like, hey guys, do you get, does, anyone bring, does anyone have applesauce? I can make it if you don't have it. That guy's fucking getting sent off in a little, he's nice, he's a nice guy, but he's getting sent off in a fucking boat. You know, or he's getting, he's getting left on the beach. Okay. You gotta have a scary pirate flag too. Blackbeard's flag, man. He, he had a scary one. It has a white horned skeleton on a black background. The skeleton's holding a spear pointing at a red heart. The red blood drops near the heart. Skeleton's holding a glass, making a toast to the devil. Skeleton obviously stands for death. Stands for enemy crews who choose to put up a fight. The speared heart meant that no quarter would be asked or given. You're not gonna, uh-uh. You're not gonna be, uh, you're not gonna be given quarter. 
you can be, be fucking killed if you're given a fight. Blackbeard's flag was uh, was designed to intimidate opposing ship crews into surrendering, and it probably did. Probably surrendering without a fight. Um, all right, and then there's a lot of other stories, uh, mostly undocumented, you know, possibly just the stuff of legend, possibly real, about how scary Blackbeard may have been. Let's talk about a few of those. Uh, now, before I, before I get into... Um, Exactly these, uh, how scary these stories are, whatever these stories are. Uh, there are there are historians who think it's bullshit. According to historian Colin Woodward, who wrote Republic of Pirates, published in 2008, quote, in the dozens of eyewitness accounts of his victims, there is not a single instance in which he killed anyone prior to his final fatal battle with the Royal Navy, end quote. He says uh, Blackbeard's fearsome reputation as a violent cutthroat was made up by authorities to legitimize the hunt for him. I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, there is a lot of other stories saying he did a bunch of awful things. So, so who knows? You know, we, we don't have a time machine. But, uh, but there definitely are some colorful legends and vivid uh, contemporary newspaper portrayals of him being uh, cruel and terrible. Uh, stories that made sea captains and sailors of his day fear him. Like one tale claims he shot his own first mate, <laughs> saying, quote, if he didn't shoot one or two... Oh, this is, sorry, I thought that was Blackbird talking for a second. Uh, the newspaper... Uh, uh, the local newspaper said, if he didn't shoot one or two crewmen now and then, they'd forget who he was. Uh, another legend is that having had too much to drink, he said to his crew, come, let us make a hell of our own and try how long we can bear it. And then they went into the ship's hold, they closed the hatches, filled several pots with brimstone, and set it on fire. Soon the men were coughing, gasping for air from the sulfurous flames, all except Blackbeard uh, scrambled outside. When Blackbeard finally emerged, he just snarled, damn ye, ye yellow-bellied cowards. I'm a better man than all ye milk sops put together. That's an expert, uh, excerpt from an old book from Captain Charles Johnson I mentioned earlier at the beginning, General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates. Uh, Colin dudes milksops, man. That's some harsh shit. Milksop is a person who is indecisive and lacks courage. I feel like it's the 18th century equivalent of a pussy. You know, stop, stop being such a milksop. Get back to work, you big baby. Uh, another Blackbird legend is that before he sailed upon his adventures, he married a young creature of about 16 years of age. And uh, this is supposedly his 14th wife in, in this tale. And then he lays with her all night, and then it was his custom to invite five or six of his brutal companions to come ashore, and he would force her to prostitute herself to all of them, one after another, before his face. That, that one sounds a bit over the top. I'm going to chalk that one up to some sensationalistic journalism to sway public opinion away from him. Uh, my favorite legend concerns the possibility of buried treasure. Who doesn't love a buried treasure tale? Uh, by all accounts, Blackbeard's wealth was immense by mid-1718, and popular accounts suggested that he was very fond of burying parts of his treasure all along the Carolina coast. Uh, the most melodramatic stories uh, revolving around this claim that he would choose a sailor to row him to land with a treasure chest, but then would return rowing himself alone. Two men leave, one man returns. That's the deal you make when you deal with Blackbeard. Arr, matey. Uh, who knows if any of that is true? Right? What is true is he stole and looted a lot in early 1718. Uh, with the Queen Anne's revenge at the center of his flotilla, uh, Blackbeard raced up the Lesser Antilles, the island chain ringing the outer arc of the Caribbean like a string of pearls, leaving fear and destruction in his wake. Events described in the testimonies of some of those who he held captive and letters to colonial officials uh, whose islands he terrorized. He, he set fire <laughs> to part of Guadalupe town, burned a fleet of merchant vessels in the shadow of the British fort of St. Kitts, Caused the governor of the Leeward Islands to abandon a tour of his colony aboard HMS Seaford uh, for fear the frigate would be captured. Blackbeard and his crew re repaired to St. Croix, uh, burned an English sloop for amusement, just for amusement. They've gone fucking full pirate now, just burning other people's ships for shits and giggles. Uh, then they sailed for Puerto Rico, where in early December uh, they learned shocking news from the captain of a merchant sloop they'd seized 
they learned that apparently King George I had decreed that any pirate who surrendered to a British governor by September 1718 would be pardoned, uh, pardoned for all piracies committed before January 5th and could even keep their plunder. That shows how sick of pirates shit the crown was. They were just like, yeah, you could keep the fucking treasure. You can keep it. Just for fuck's sake, please stop burning our ships down for fun, you assholes. How are we supposed to terrorize and subjugate the natives and overtax our own colonists if you guys uh, keep taking and or burning all of our shit? Well, this potential pardon timed out well for Blackbeard. All right, Blackbeard has spent much of uh, February, March, and April of 1718 in the islands off Honduras and Belize seizing ships filled with wood and molasses instead of gold and silver. All right, he wanted that Spanish gold and silver. Instead, he got some, uh, some Mexican wood. No, he didn't give it. He wasn't in Mexico. He got some, he got some Honduran wood. Some Honduran molasses and, uh, and a large uh, flotilla of pirates are not interested in molasses. They didn't, they didn't sign up for molasses raids, all right? They want that cursed gold. They want the jewels in their plunderings. Armity. <sighs> Surprised I haven't said that a hundred more times by now. Uh, despite capturing a huge number of vessels, now it's in my head. Sorry, now it's in my head. Armity. I just want to say it over and over, uh, but I won't. Uh, his enormous crew had fairly little wealth to show for it. Uh, morale was poor, especially when they ran out of rum for a little time. That's really no good, man. That's no good. You got hundreds of bloodthirsty dudes out at sea with no gold, no cursed gold, to buy some womanly comfort when they reach their little fucking pirate town in Nassau or wherever. And now they got no rum to drink away the reality that they have no gold. A damned confusion amongst us, Blackbeard uh, reportedly wrote in his journal, which was found and remarked on by naval officers after his death and quoted by the author of the general history of uh, pirates, but, but has since been lost. Rogues are plotting and great talk of separation. Fucking rogues, man. Man, you always got to watch your back for rogues when you're out at the high sea, you know, when you're a pirate captain. That's probably one of the worst parts about being a pirate captain is keeping an eye out for rogues. Uh, while he was able to replenish the liquor supply and head off mutiny, Blackbeard was desperate, uh, desperate for some real treasure. Well, in the spring, uh, Blackbeard uh, appointed uh, Queen Anne's Revenge, or appointed it, uh, Queen, Anne Re Queen Anne's Revenge North, his uh, four-vessel fleet uh, dropped into Nassau, perhaps to sell goods, uh, then even tried their luck uh, diving among the Spanish treasure fleet, wrecks uh, nearby Florida coast. Man, reduced to scavenging instead of some proper plundering. In May, uh, he makes a bold move out of desperation, blockades the entrance to Charleston's harbor for a full six days, captures every vessel that comes or goes. Uh, unfortunately, the cargoes he intercepts are useless, mostly barrels of pitch, tar, and rice, improvising Blackbeard sees his passengers instead, uh, sending word to the town that he wished to ransom them. In the end, his crew of 400 left the area with plunder worth, than less, uh, worth less than 2,000 pounds. And now, after uh, you know, surely bringing some heat from the British on themselves after the Charleston blockade, uh, they needed a hideaway. And the creeks and inlets of poor, sparsely populated North Carolina had hideaways in abundance. So what happens next is a matter of scholarly, uh, scholarly debate. We do know that on June 3rd, uh, 1718, uh, about you know, a couple months before the pardon deadline, Blackbeard guides his fleet into Topsail Inlet, home to the tiny hamlet of Fishtown, now Beaufort. Uh, Bonnet's Revenge and the fleet's two other sloops went first, negotiating the narrow, uh, comma-shaped channel to the village. Queen Anne's Revenge, Revenge runs aground, apparently while under full sail. The pirates tried to get their flagship off the shoal, but only managed to sink one of their sloops in the effort. We know that Blackbird, uh, Blackbird, the Blackbird singing in the dead of night. How's that, huh? You probably thought, like, how the hell did he get all the Beatles to fucking hop on the mic there? How did he get the Beatles to hum a song that they'd forgotten their words to, even though they wrote it? How did he do that? Um, 
No, Black Blackbeard. Uh, he sends Bonnet away with the revenge before re- marooning dozens of his remaining crew on a large sandbank. He then set off in the remaining sloop with his closest crewmen, uh, quote, 40 white men and 60 Negroes, uh, all uh, under the uh, and all the com- company's plunder takes all the treasure. Now, one of his captains, uh, David Harriet, later told authorities it was generally believed that Thatch ran his vessel aground on purpose to get rid of the riffraff, man. This guy fucking cut down on the riffraff. He's got a lot of riffraff. I, I feel like that's a you know, common problem when you get a big old pirate flotilla going. You know, the more pirates you get, fucking the more riffraff you're going to get. You know, you got, you got you probably three riffraff for every solid pirate. And he wants to save that remaining treasure, what he has left. You know, it's been, it's been slim pickings the last few months. He wants to save it for his, for his best mates. Now they're all crammed aboard the small Spanish-built sloop. Blackbeard and his uh, remaining followers head for their final sanctuary, the tiny hamlet of Bath, North Carolina, located up a narrow creek from uh, Pamlico Sound, a day's sail from Beaufort. It's a frontier settlement, just over 10 years old and compromising fewer than two dozen homes. It had only 100 residents, but it was also, in effect, the capital of North Carolina and counted Governor Charles Eden among its residents. Now, no eyewitness accounts of the initial meeting between Blackbeard and Eden have survived, but it must have gone well. Eden was a wealthy English nobleman who governed an impoverished colony spread out over what was literally a backwater, vast tracts of pestilent low-lying cypress forests pierced by sluggish tea-colored creeks, inlets, and swamps. Most of uh, its approximately 20,000 colonists were just penniless, outnumbered by uh, uh, aggrieved Indians who just six years before had nearly wiped Bath and the rest of the colony off the map. Blackbeard's men, they wanted a pardon, remember? There was that pardon earlier that they had been talked about. They kind of ignored the part about you're supposed to stop committing crimes, and then you could get your <laughs> pardon in September. They're like, well, let's just, we're going to keep doing the crimes part. We're going to keep robbing shit, but, then, but we would also still like the pardon. Uh, they wanted one, and, uh, and they wanted it to even include their blockade of Charleston, you know. And that happened uh, after they were – because you were supposed to stop by January 5th. <laughs> that happened well after that, but they are like, I don't care. This is the, this is the deal uh, we, we would like. And, uh, and, and they offered the colony something in return. Like first, with their arrival, the population of Bath is going to double. And the newcomers now are going to be armed combat veterans, men who could help defend the settlement, you know, from the angry Native Americans or whoever else if, if war resumed. Uh, second, they had money, and they had the means and inclination to, to bring in more, so long as Governor Eden refrained from asking too many questions about where it came from. And in the end, uh, Eden granted all of them a pardon and later a legal title to the sloop they'd arrived in. So see, so it was, a lot of people, what he th- they think he did is even though he loved the Queen Anne's Revenge, you know, he, he marooned that. Or, or, you know, ran it aground, uh, marooned a bunch of sailors, you know, so he could cut down on who he had to split the loot with. And then, t- you know, took, it, took kind of his best guys that he could still, you know, use as a fucking crew to commit more pirating acts, go get a pardon from everybody. And then, you know, after getting the pardon, commit some more pirating on the side. Well, Blackbeard and several of his men, they settle in Bath, build some homes, and, and lead what might appear uh, at a distance to be honest lives. But come on, you know, that's not going to happen. Blackbeard even marries a local girl. Uh, a fact that reaches the ears of the Royal Navy officers in nearby Virginia who noted the development in their dispatches to London. But in reality, you know, the pirates were intent on slipping down the creek into the open sea to prey on vessels passing up and down the eastern seaboard, uh, you know, to and from Chesapeake Bay. Once a pirate, always a pirate. You know, now if Blackbeard had shaved his crazy fucking ribboned lunatic beard, you know, started going by Ed or Eddie, maybe you could believe he changed his ways. But come on, he's still a Blackbeard. He's still a yo-ho-ho in it. Uh, as later court, court, testi- uh, court testimony reveals, Blackbeard set up a camp on Oracoke Island on the Outer Banks where they could sort of uh, uh, kind of sort their plunder, repack it for, for shipment and sale back in Bath. It was the perfect arrangement, a new Nassau. 
uh, only better that it had a sovereign government, and therefore the pirates might well have assumed that they were not going to be subject to British invasion. Well, that's not going to last very long. Blackbeard uh, may have had Eden in his pocket, but the lieutenant governor of Virginia was another matter. Alexander Spotswood had been keeping tabs on Blackbeard for months, even sending spies into North Carolina to, quote, make particular inquiry after the pirates. Merchants uh, had bombarded him with complaints about Blackbeard, but when he learned uh, uh, of the Rose Emilia incident, Spotswood later wrote, I thought it necessary to put a stop to the further progress of the robberies, because this was, there was a, I guess, just one robbery too many. Uh, he didn't have the authority to send an expedition into another colony, but Spotswood was not one to be constrained by legal and ethical niceties. Uh, legislators were already working to have him thrown out of office for various power grabs and for squandering tax revenue on Williamsburg's uh, fantastically opulent new governor's palace. Uh, through blind trust, he would ultimately give himself 85,000 acres of public land. <laughs> Jesus. An area that came to be known as Spotsylvania County. Gave himself a fucking county by nefarious means. Uh, he contacted the captains of two naval frigates at anchor in Hampton Roads and hatched an audacious and illegal plan to wipe out the fearsome pirate. Because remember, you know, he's doing illegal stuff on the sly, but he was given a pardon, so you're not supposed to come after him. And, and, th and these are kind of important details about Spotswood, I think, by the way. It just goes to show that pirates weren't the only plunderers back then. You know, the local governors were stealing <laughs> more shit than the pirates probably ever could. You know, governments, giant religious institutions, big businesses, they're always the biggest thieves, you know, or among the biggest thieves. Not that all of them are, but, you know, like how the, how the banks got $700 billion in taxpayer, taxpayer money to bail them out back in 2008 out of the financial crisis they themselves created. $700 billion is way more than the combined sum of every dollar that has ever been robbed by any bank robber in U.S. history. Fucking assholes. And none of those CEOs or high-level uh, shareholders, you know, worth tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars are ever going to give a penny of it back. Uh-uh. Anyway, not knowing if Blackbeard uh, would be in Bath or on Oracroke, uh, the naval captains launched a two-pronged invasion of their southern neighbor, one led a contingent of armed men overland on horseback, arriving at Eden's house in Bath six days later. The other dispatched 60 men under Lieutenant Robert Maynard. Uh, if this guy has a middle name, it is fucking badass uh, or psychopath. You're going to find out why later. In two small unarmed sloops, the crooked Spotswood had provided. They arrived at Oracoke five days later. Blackbeard's sloop was anchored there. All right, so this is, this is the big battle. The following morning, Lieutenant Maynard's men attack. Blackbeard's crew of 20... Uh, he's got just a small little crew hanging out with him right now. Uh, had spent the night drinking, getting, getting drunk on some rum, on that pirate rum, and uh, might have been surprised at Anchor had, had one of Maynard's sloops not run aground coming into the anchorage. Well, after one of Maynard's sloops runs aground and Blackbeard uh, spots him, there was a, a shouted exchange between the two captains from their boat, which I think is awesome. Maynard's account stating, At our first salutation, he drank damnation to me and my men. Whom he, who, whom he called cowardly puppies, saying he would neither give nor take quarter. Jesus, man, what a badass. He says, I'm going to drink to your death, throws, throws, back, throws back some rum, calls him some, you know, uh, some slur, cowardly puppies. Maybe that was like the asshole of that time. And then just says like, dude, we're not going to take, we're not going to be surrendered. We're not gonna, uh, you're not going to take us alive, and we're not going to let you live. Wow. Blackbeard, man, taunting him from the deck. Calling them cowardly puppies, almost as bad as a milksop. Well, by the time the naval sailors got their small vessel free, Blackbeard had gotten his sloop underway and greeted them with a broadside that killed or injured many. So they pulled up fucking, you know, the side of the ship facing the other side of the ship, cannons fire, boom, melee, you know, on, the, on Maynard's ship. But as the pirates sailed for open water, a musket ball uh, severed a halard on their sloop, causing a sail to drop and a critical loss in speed. The second sloop, Lieutenant Maynard's, caught up to them, 
only to receive another broadside of deadly uh, grape shot and a salvo of hand grenades, fucking throwing old pirate hand grenades. In seconds, 21 members of Maynard's crew were killed or wounded. Staring down at the smoke-veiled carnage, Blackbeard concluded that the battle had been won. He ordered his sloop to come alongside Maynard's sloop and board it so his men could take control of it. Blackbeard was the first. I love that, man. He was the first to step aboard. He's not going to send some little, some little scallywag on, on to board this ship first. He's like, man, I don't care, man. I'm going to go out first. That's like, that's like the general of an army marching out in front. It's crazy. He had a rope in his hands to lash the vessels together. And how crazy was pirates boarding your ship, by the way? Oh, man, that must have sucked. It must have been terrible. You know, see some black flagged ship floating your way. You know you can't outmaneuver it. You can't hide from it. You can't outgun it. And suddenly they're floated right up next to you. Boards thrown down. Dirty, crazy looking, cackling pirates running across planks. All fucking scurvy looking. Under your ship, loaded up with knives, cutlasses, crazy eyes, pistols, rifles. Literally nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You can wait for the pirates, hope for the best. Or you can dive into the cold, dark, shark-infested waters of the Atlantic. Fuck that. Remind me never to be an 18th century sea merchant. Well... Blackbeard and his men, they run aboard the sloop, preparing to plunder another ship, just as they've done, as they've done 100 times before. Uh, but this time, little surprise, surprise, motherfucker. Uh, Maynard and a dozen uninjured sailors were hiding, laying in wait for Blackbeard and his crew. And suddenly, they just rush up, pop up from the hold, where they, they've been hiding down there, and they engage the pirates in hand-to-hand combat. Oh, oh it's on now. His pirate sword fight. Now, in a scene that would inspire many Hollywood movies, uh, the dashing naval lieutenant and the arch pirate face each other, swords drawn. Maynard made the first sword thrust, the point of his sword against uh, Blackbeard's cartridge box. Bent, bends his sword to the hilt. Blackbeard uh, broke the guard of it and wounded Maynard's fingers, but did not disable him. Whereupon he jumped back and threw away his sword and fired his pistol, which wounded Blackbeard. Then a crew member struck in between them with his sword and, depending on the account, either slashed Blackbeard's throat, killing him immediately, or cut his face badly before being attacked by another pirate himself, and then Blackbeard tried to load his pistol one last time before slumping over and dying from blood loss. Now, various accounts state that when Blackbeard finally did go down, he went down with, quote, five shot in him and 20 dismal cuts in several parts of his body. That's a quote from Maynard. And then uh, the second sloop arrives to overwhelm the rest of Blackbeard's men, and then Maynard uh, cuts Blackbeard's fucking head off. Cuts his head off. And uh, needing proof of Blackbeard's death in order to claim the bounty offered by Governor Spotswood, which is only 100 pounds, by the way, cheap ass, uh, hangs Blackbeard's severed head from the front of the ship and sails it home. Returns to Virginia with 14 prisoners, nine white, five black. Jesus, man. This Lieutenant Maynard sounds maybe even more ruthless than Blackbeard himself. Uh, Blackbeard's body, by the way, never given a grave. His body was just thrown into Pamlico Sound. His head uh, given as a trophy to Spotswood, who had it displayed on a tall pole in Hampton Roads, a site now known as Blackbeard's Point. But while the governors uh, have been all but forgotten, the pirate has lived on, man, more famous in death than he ever was even in life. And he was pretty famous in life that last year. Now, uh, now there's some pretty cool legends about his death. Uh, one of my favorites, man, is that his, his headless body, after being thrown overboard, swam itself between two and seven times around Maynard's ship before finally sinking. That's fucking crazy. That's nonsense, but that's an awesome legend. You know, just people telling that in the old taverns in the, in the early 1700s out there on Court Carolina. Say, oh, Blackbeard, I was there. I was there. They threw his headless body off into the water, and then it swam around the ship for seven times before sinking. Sometimes you can still see it swimming today. <clears throat> that's hard doing that pirate's voice for too long. Uh, 
Uh, ever since uh, his death, it's, uh, it's been said that Blackbeard's ghost haunts the spot now known as uh, Teach's Hole. It keeps being referred to as Teach, by the way, just because of that. Again, it was like a fucking newspaper fuck up. And so if you, when you hear if you're like, why, did, why do you keep referring to him as Thatch? Thatch is actually, from everything I've researched, the appropriate uh, proper last name of Blackbeard. But Teach is what was, uh, became common. So Teach's Hole. Uh, many people have reported seeing a strange light moving beneath the water in the Teach's Hole Cove. This ghostly light is thought, to, thought by some to be Blackbeard's spirit swimming through the water, searching for its missing head. Uh, there's even those who believe that on stormy nights you can hear Blackbeard's voice calling out in the wind. On nights when an angry wind is roaring and the hard rain is coming down, many people have heard a horrible roaring sound coming from the hidden cove. They say that it's an unearthly noise. And if you listen just right, it sounds like a pained human bellowing, Where's my head? Well, that's it. That is Blackbeard. That's the first pirate time suck, you time suckers. Someday, uh, I'm sure we'll do another, man. I like talking about pirate stuff. Maybe, uh, million, maybe William Kidd, talk about his buried treasure legends. And while uh, pirates are considered the bad guys of history, uh, it's hard not to sympathize with the pirates, too. For example, pirate crews uh, were being treated uh, better than the British Navy crews were of their day. Blackbeard may have been less corrupt than Lieutenant Governor Spotswood, for example. Uh, furthermore, pirate crews uh, on their ships, were on their, they were there by choice as opposed to the Navy crews, you know, many of whom ha- had uh, kind of been forced into service, been pressed into service. Pirate ships were also essentially democratic institutions. The pirate captain would be elected by the crew and generally selected on the basis of competence and fairness as a leader. Uh, I don't know that Blackbird was <laughs> selected that way. He sounds like he maybe ruled just by fear. Uh, the captain's decisions on where and when to sail would be put to a vote. His authority became absolute uh, only during battle. Uh, again, this was a stark contrast to the British Navy at the time, where the captaincy of the ship was based more on being born into the right family than on, on ability to competently lead a crew. Uh, it's also important to remember uh, what the pirates were stealing and uh, who they were stealing it from. A large portion of the vessels passing through the Atlantic at this time were holding enslaved human beings as cargo. When intercepting a slave ship, pirate crews could routinely and would routinely free those otherwise destined for a life of unimaginable misery. These men would be offered the opportunity to join the ship's crew uh, with the chances of their being able to re- return home being pretty slim. Uh, it's an offer many of them took up. Records show that as much as half of any given pirate ship's crew in the early 18th century would have been composed of freed Africans. Even Blackbeard's trusted second-in-command who died fighting with him at Teach's Hole in that final battle uh, was, a, was an African-American known as uh, Black Caesar. So while many pirates did kill and plunder, they were killing and plundering from people who were themselves killing plundering, enslaving, and exploiting lands uh, which had been invaded and were held by force. So what seemed to offend the authorities so much about the pirates was not their tactics, but that someone else was getting a cut of the same action. Man, isn't that the same old story, right? Governments hate thieves, uh, mainly uh, because they don't like competition. And with that, let's yo-ho-ho-ho into some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one. Don't go calling somebody a milksop unless you are ready to fight. Them are fighting words. Even worse than telling someone they're a cowardly puppy. Number two, Tortuga in the 1640s and Nassau around 1715 sound like a couple of great places to be a young, horny, tough, adventure-seeking, good-time-having dude. Pirating, drinking, whoring, no laws. Sounds like a good place to get some really cool stories or not live very long. Number three, who gives a shit if Blackbeard's real last name was Teach or Thatch. All that matters is the name Blackbeard and the fear it projected. A fear enhanced by wearing lit fuses under his hat in battle, carrying a chest full of pistols, and being such a badass it took five bullets and 20 sword slashes to take him down. Number four, early pirates were known as buccaneers and privateers, 
and were given legal freedom to attack whoever they wanted as long as it wasn't someone from their own nation. And then those government-sponsored pirates inevitably turned on their own governments and were declared thieves. Kind of like how Panama's uh, Manuel Noriega was trained by the CIA, CIA uh, who were cool with him trafficking drugs until he stopped following U.S. orders, and then he was a ruthless dictator of Panama. Ah, uh, got to get rid of him now. He's not a puppet. Uh, maybe Emmanuel uh, Noriega time suck down the, down the road. Number five, Blackbeard uh, was only known as Blackbeard for one year. Did he took over the pirate reins from former privateer Captain Benjamin Hornigold at the end of 1717, and then he died on November 22nd, 1718, at roughly the age of 38. I mean, God, he did a lot of shit in a year. He attacked so many places, floated all around, you know, the fucking Atlantic, even gotten pardoned for a little while, even settled down for a tiny bit over in, a, you know, over on the coast, Carolina coast. Did that in a year in his late 30s, man. Immortalized himself forever. Gave Johnny Depp most of the money he'll ever make and gave me some good times scaring my kid at Disneyland. Thanks, Blackbeard. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Well, thanks for going on a pirate adventure there, mateys. Hope you had as much fun as I did. Uh, that was a good time, man. That was a good time. I got some tour dates coming up on Easter weekend, April 14 through 16. I'll be at Hilarities in downtown Cleveland. I'll be at the Tempe Improv Thursday and Friday only, April 6 and 7. I'll be at Punchline in San Francisco, May uh, 10 through 13. That's the club where I recorded the Chinese Affection LP. Love that club. Uh, a bunch more tour dates on the website. Click Stand Up Tour and more on timesuckpodcast.com. And enjoy the next few days, everyone. Only a short time until Friday when I invade your brain with some Dianetics. Friday, it's time to get clear. It's time to get audited. Right? It's time to, time to go full Travolta. Time to go, time to go full Tom Cruise. Until then, uh, use that Amazon button when you do your online shopping. Treat yourself to a, to a tight new Time Suck t-shirt. Uh, 4X and 5X, uh, some bigger shirts being added to the shop as you listen. If they're not there already. I heard your requests. Working on it. Uh, and send me some pics of you wearing those, those, those hot cotton blends. And most importantly... Uh, keep those minds wide open and keep on sucking. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.